Okay, we are back and we're back for a one-off because it is the European Championship final on Sunday. And it's very rare that we would actually do a podcast which just targets one game. But this one is a big game, uh, not just because all three of us on this podcast are English, but is massive. The European Championships um, at Wembley, England versus Italy. I can't actually believe that I'm saying it. I really can't believe I'm saying that, gents. Um, I'm with Jake Oscar Thorpe and Andrew Beasley, as ever, uh, for the big game deep dive. And um, I don't really know where to start, to be honest with you, gentlemen. I mean, first of all, did you expect England to get to this point? And I know that, Jake, we've spoken about your info goal model on the preview podcast. And you were talking about the fact that it was kind of pointing towards France, knocking us out in the sort of last 16. And that was just the way it was going to look. I mean, how has it been sort of as you've gone through the stages? Is it adjusted? Is it is it changed the sort of metrics a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it does. It takes into account the draw. Um, obviously, that's that's massive. And one of the things that I still can't get my head around how easy a draw England got for the second successive uh, major tournament because you know the only difficult tie that we had really was Germany, um, and that in theory, given what Germany have shown over the last few years, wasn't even all that difficult. Um, and then obviously Denmark in the semi-finals. I felt a little bit sorry for them. Um, good side, but they did they did have to come back from Baku to Wembley in a short space of time, which is um, far from ideal. So we've had it very nice and easy so far. So every round that's progressed, England's percentage chance has increased as, as you would expect. But as soon as the group stage um, drew to a close and the draw was pretty much set in stone and we knew what kind of path England were going to have. Um, the percentage increased massively just for England to win it straight out of the group stage because, you you know, we it's said numerous times that the, the top side of the draw was, was very top heavy with the likes of Spain, Belgium, Italy, France, all in that same quarter, of the, uh, half the draw. So, um, yeah, it's just been a fascinating one to watch. Obviously, um, it was, for me, bizarre to see England's price actually drift after the group stage. Um, obviously, I think we spoke about it pre-tournament. They were around five to one. We both thought that was a little bit short. Um, and yeah, after the group stage, you were around seven to one in places, which was just bizarre. I mean, you've come through your group. You, the draw that you potentially got is very kind and you've not got very many, many teams. So yeah, as, as it's progressed, the belief has, has, has improved, has, has got more greater and, and the obviously percentage chances increased. But what is also deserves a mention is that England have actually got better as the tournament's progressed. And Andrew, is that the way that you've kind of seen it as well? I mean, it was a case of getting out of the group, wasn't it? Well, topping that group, getting that right side of that draw for England, wasn't it? We'll come on to Italy and actually some of the tough matches that they've played and whether that can actually play a factor when we're trying to pick a winner for the final. But Andrew, is that, is that kind of the way you've seen it? I mean, Jake said, oh, it's been quite easy. I mean, hello, Jake, we did play Germany. Yeah, this, not the Germany of old, is it, Andrew? Oh, come on. No, no, he's right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously, there's just so much sort of baggage that comes with England playing Germany. But if you sort of view it objectively, then, yeah, it's certainly not the hardest match that, that England could have got. Um, it's uh, obviously it all, you know, it's an it sort of hinges on that match in a way. Almost England's tournament almost hinges on that Thomas Muller chance that he put wide of the post because had he scored, England may still have won, of course. We don't know, but clearly... Um, they, they, they possibly stood a chance there of going out. I mean, when you look at what they've done in this tournament, only conceding one goal, um, and it hasn't been by sort of fluke, they've only conceded two clear-cut chances, both of which were in that Germany game. So having got through that, to then have Ukraine and Denmark, I mean, 
I did expect England to win those games. It still seems odd to say that England are in the final just because it does seem odd. But, you know, you know, faced with those games, they should have done and, uh, and they played very well and, and they're deservedly into the final. Let's talk about some of the dark horses as well, because Andrew, you kind of tip Ukraine and they did okay in the end. I know ultimately they, they did sort of struggle against a very strong England side, um, losing 4-0, but reaching the quarterfinals, and it's, it's pretty good effort, really, when you look at it on the face of it. But you did tip it, so maybe that isn't a, a good effort. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I did pick them out to possibly top the group, which they didn't do. But uh, yeah, they had something, they had quite a strange tournament, really, because they looked like they were going to lose heavily to the Netherlands, and yet they nearly got a point. They beat North Macedonia, as you would probably expect. But then they were really poor against Austria in the final game. They then deservedly beat Sweden in what was sort of like a bit of a war of attrition with a final kick in extra time. Literally and the, a war, yeah. Yeah, the and then the in. England game, obviously they were, going to be, they were going to be underdogs for that. And once England scored early on, it, it only made their, their task even harder and, and they were well beaten. So, I mean, yeah, they, they got to a quarter final of a major tournament for the first time, so they could be reasonably um, happy with their efforts. But yeah, it was quite a strange road as to, as to sort of how they got there. We could go through loads of the different teams and and, and I'm loath to do that because obviously people are tuning in just to get picks for the final and we'll go through that and work out where the value in the market is. Well, that in just a second. One team that I did want to bring up was, was Belgium because it was kind of really the last roll of the dice that golden generation was it that so-called golden generation where they had all these brilliant players coming through who'd been sort of tipped for the very top from being sort of 10 or 11 years old, bizarrely, in some of the local magazines and stuff in Belgium and well they knocked out the quarters and and just kind of with a bit of a whimper really as well I'm not sure whether Roberto Martinez was perhaps the right man to give them the last roll of the dice in a major tournament but they were disappointed really disappointed weren't they yeah yeah they, they, they did um, they are very top heavy in Belgium um, I think we said that pre-tournament like you said the firepower they've got there is is sensational you've got um, Hazard De Bruyne who didn't play for um, the first couple of games but Carrasco and, um, and Mertens were playing in there Lukaku was a handful the whole tournament um, but yeah the, the back line of um, Alderweireld Vertonghen and Vermaelen who um, was a surprise selection at the heart of that uh, defence it's just not good enough really um, and it was exposed at certain times they were very fortunate I thought to, to actually beat Portugal in the in the last 16 they scored a goal and just shut up shop it was almost like watching Burnley play um, which is strange when you've got such talented attacking players but um, yeah very disappointing I, I wouldn't write them off I won't say this is their final throw of the dice because Qatar's only a couple of years around the corner Hopefully they move on from the likes of Vermaelen and Vertonghen by then and, and actually bring in some half-decent defenders. Um, and yeah, a switching coach is probably needed because I don't think that system really gets the best out of um, the players that he's got there because they do get over in midfield. We saw Italy do that to them in that in that quarter-final tie. The three-man midfield, very busy, just um, ran rings around Tiedemans and Axel Witzel. So um, yeah, disappointing, yes, um, but they'll, they'll still be in contention when it comes to, to, to the World Cup, definitely. Andrew, where is the? Um, we just talked about Belgium actually, um, just there, weren't we? And and I want to just before we come on to the, the value in the final, I want to just talk about the value in the top scorers chart because Schick, who is tied at the moment as a golden boot winner with Cristiano Ronaldo, was at ninety ones on Pinnacle pre-tournament to win the golden boot. Um, is Harry Kane gonna overtake that mark? <laughs> is he is he gonna? Well, it also overtakes Lineker's mark as well, doesn't he? If he uh, if he does that, as most goals in major finals for England on ten, I think he's tied with him on ten. So um, 
Is he going to do that? And we'll come on to it properly in the final, but is that a good shout, Andrew? I think it's quite a big ask. He's um, one goal behind Ronaldo and also one assist. So uh, if he's to win the golden boot outright, he either needs two goals or one goal and two assists, I believe, which is quite a big ask against Italy, I would think. Um, I guess he could get an equal share of it. Seems a little more likely, but uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be hard. I mean, just on Schick, I I sort of thought, why didn't we spot him? And I checked his record the other day, and he scored nine league goals this season. So I don't feel too bad for not picking <laughs> up that Patrick Schick might uh, prove to be one of the top scorers at the tournament. But um, yeah, wasn't expecting that. But uh, yeah, obviously Kane is is the most likely person to to challenge Ronaldo. But I think it's going to be quite a a tall order for him to actually do it. Right. Let's get on to the actual final itself then. Um, because I don't, I don't really know how you do a deep dive into a proper game. and I'm just glad that we've got two experts here uh, with me. But where is the bar? I mean, people aren't going to win an absolute boatload, are they? But it's nice just to be able to have the edge. So give our listeners the edge, gents, on this final. There's so much to factor in. Italy have had a tough run. It's uh, a much tougher run than England, as we've just discussed sort of earlier on. And they've reached the final, having beaten some tough teams. Is that going to play into it? You know, the hands have also lost some some key players with injuries, which you can you know feel free to mention as well, and how much that's going to affect stuff. Um, are England going to be fresher? Does pressure come into it? I don't really even know where to start. But is there anything, first of all, Andrew, that's caught your eye when you've been looking and just trying to get the, uh, the edge in terms of the betting market? Well, I wondered if the fact that England played the second semi-final, so had one less day to prepare, had any sort of bearing on things. Um, But I did see a tweet this morning from uh, Omar Chowdhury, who was saying in the last 20 finals of World Cups, Euros and Copper Americas, it's an even split between the team that plays the first semi-final and the second semi-final for who then wins. So it doesn't seem to make much difference in terms of um, sort of rest and recovery. Uh, obviously, I think have Italy had one extra game with extra time, I think, but yeah. th- that probably won't make won't make too much difference now. I mean, the, the, the England uh, squad on average have played more league minutes than any other squad at the tournament um, this summer. So clearly that, that hasn't held them back too much either. Um, They've also so done less travelling, haven't things, they? You know, probably, uh, probably shouldn't factor into it. The home support obviously perhaps counts for a lot um, with England but I think you could sort of sense yesterday that it, it becomes tense if it's not going England's way so I, I guess it can it can it can work both ways you know if England score first the place will be bouncing but if Italy score first and it takes England a while to get back into it it then becomes tense and is it actually more of a, of a hindrance than a help to have a stadium full of your fans I guess we'll we'll obviously have to wait and see but there's there's nothing sort of obvious from those sort of external factors which have sort of tipped the balance one way or the other as far as I can tell yeah and it's it's a good point that you make actually Jake because it was all four semi-finalists they played all their games all their sort of group games um, at their home stadiums and I thought that was quite telling actually because clearly fatigue is a a thing so that does lend itself to the fact that Italy have done more travelling than England in this tournament well yeah England have played um, six games five of them at Wembley so uh, and the other game is at Rome so you know just a a short hop across um, uh, down Twitter whereas the Italians they played three in Rome 
two at Wembley, but they also had to travel to Russia and back. So they've had a little bit yeah. of an extra um, airtime, which also means less, you know, we don't know that there's no physical way of quantifying what sort of an impact that has. But I think you could tell watching the Danish team against England that, that, they were they were done. They'd, they'd had a trip out to to Baku to play against um, the Czech Republic, and then back again to Wembley um, with a three day turnaround. And they were after sixty minutes, maybe even less than that. They they looked really really tired. Um, so yeah, I think Italy have played more minutes in this competition. They've had to travel further, um, which you know it, England just basically roll out of bed and play, don't they? Um, at this tournament, as effectively yeah. a home tournament. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think that's definitely something that I would put in England's favour. Um, and yeah, I, I've just got a funny feeling that, that England are going are gonna to do it and I think they'll do it comfortably. Um, I don't want to jinx it, but they, they've just looked so good, so solid defensively. As Andrew mentioned, they've only conceded two notable chances in six matches. They're conceding 0.6 expected goals against per game, which is a, you know the lowest total in, at the Euros by a long way. Um, and they're just not conceding any chances. And, and as the games are progressing uh, throughout the tournament, they are looking more of a threat in attack as well. Um, the, the issue many people had in the group stage was that they weren't creating enough. They didn't look, they weren't playing on the front foot against the lesser teams, but they've slowly found their groove. And um, I think it was quite, quite important and obvious the last couple of games that they've started looking dangerous from set pieces again, because... Think back to the 2018 World Cup. Nine of England's 12 goals were scored from set pieces. So it's a huge chunk. Um, and if we can add that kind of thing into the mix of an already like decent attacking team, then you've got a really you know nice angles to to go at. And Italy, we know that they're all warriors back there. Chiellini just loves a chest bump after he's blocked something. Um, <laughs> You know, they, but they looked vulnerable from set pieces against Spain. I mean, Spain, not, they're not a big side. Donnarumma's a massive goalkeeper, but he came out and flapped at quite a few. Um, and obviously we've got Maguire, who, who literally has a magnet in his head. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that's, that's a potential angle where we could do some damage. And also, again, I'm not wanting to jinx it, but I'm quietly confident that England will, will get it done. I just think the midfield battle sets up really nice for England. Jorginho is obviously the, 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 the playmaker in, in that midfield that makes things tick, but Mason Mount knows him inside out from Chelsea and I think Mason Mount's job will be to just make sure he doesn't get the ball um, and can't then start progressing Italy up the pitch. Um, and likewise, Calvin Phillips if I was him, I'd be booting Verratti from the first minute and just trying to get him wound up because he's got a short temper. Yeah, um, right. and just try and just try and nullify um, their, their main threat, which is that midfield. Because if that midfield isn't firing, they can't get up the pitch, and that is basically what happened with Spain. Spain were really unfortunate, I thought, not to actually win the game. Um, but yeah, they just did a really good job of nullifying that midfield because I think in isolation, the forward players aren't all, they're not going to really do anything spectacular to beat you. Not, I would definitely take our forwards over theirs. It's interesting. Our, I mean, England. I was going to add as well, the thing, one possible advantage for England is that they know how Italy are, are going to play if you look at the tournament yeah. because while there's been a whole variety of formations used by different teams, Italy have just been 4-3-3 every game more or less the same players. You know, Jorginho started every game, Barella started five, Verratti started four. England can be pretty certain about what Italy are going to do and how they're going to play. Whereas obviously England have used a couple of different formations. They've got good strength in depth, so they can choose to play Saka, they can choose to play Grealish, Foden, Mount, all these guys. So they, they might just have a slight edge there in that they, they, they are harder to predict than, than Italy in, in how they're going to play on the day. Yeah, Southgate does love tinkering, doesn't he? I think he's it's something like 25 matches or something in a row where he's changed that starting line. It might be more than that. I mean, absolutely 
mind blowing. Let's um, let's just sort of just thinking from a listener's perspective here. I mean, they're probably just like, oh my word, I don't really know, and they just wanted to chuck the money everywhere, right? And uh, get yourself on Pinnacle.com, and um, there is all the UEFA Euro odds, and they've got all the different final stuff on there. But the, inside ninety minutes, extra time, full time. I mean, surely extra time looks like a decent bet. We've seen quite a lot of games go to extra time. There's a bit of fatigue creeping in. Neither team will want to win it. I've got Jake absolutely apoplectic at this. He's shaking his head so vigorously. Uh, it's like his earphones are going to fall out. So, Jake, uh, tell me why that is. I mean, is it, does it just boil down to basically what you were on about, the fact that England seem to have a bit more quality than Italy? Or is it, or is it there's something else there? I, I think I think that... Um... I think it'll be a cagey game in the first half, but I think both teams will get a little bit tired towards the end uh, of the second half. And that's when you'll see Southgate inject that extra bit of creativity that he's had wrapped in cotton wool on the bench um, all season, uh, all season, all tournament long. Um, I think we've got better options off the bench that can come on and win matches. Um, I think Italy, they've got some good players on there, but none of them really scare, scare you as an England fan. Um, whereas, you know, Grealish comes on and all of a sudden, if I was Emerson or Di Lorenzo, I'd be cacking my pants. I'd be like, oh my God, I've had to <laughs> chase after Saka and Sterling for 70 minutes and I've got this bloke running at me. Um, so yeah, I, I just think that, I think it'll be, it, I can see it following a very similar pattern to the Germany game. I think it'll be cagey. I think both teams will have a few chances, but then I think to, at the later the game goes on, the better chance I think England will have of, of winning it with their added quality because we saw Italy against Spain. Yeah, they had a 1-0 lead, but they just, even before they took the lead, they were dropping deeper and deeper and deeper um, and almost reverting to the Italy of old. And I think that we've got a little bit more guile in those forward areas than Spain, a little bit more, uh, oh, much, a bit bit more different, uh, differential, different types of players that can unlock. Um, and, and yeah, I was baffled that Spain didn't bring on Adama Traore personally, just to be a bit more direct and take on um, Emerson or Di Lorenzo. I think one of them had been booked as well. I think that's something that we'll definitely look to do. And um, I'm definitely looking at their fullbacks as weak links. Um, the, the, Emerson, you know, he's not he's not at Spinozola's level, who obviously misses the final through injury. Um, he does offer a decent attacking threat. We saw him get get through and hit the crossbar in the Spain match, but he's very vulnerable, I think, to um, someone running at him, literally just just driving the ball at him. And I think that I think Saka will play for the cover that he offers um, defensively, but also we can drive forward and beat beat um, beat. Emerson and then obviously you get Chiellini who's the left-sided centre-half who's not very quick at all the last thing he wants to be doing is backpedalling so um, yeah I think a lot a lot of these things will play into England's hands um, the other one as well Harry Kane I thought did a really good job against Denmark of dropping into the half space between the, the midfield and defence and playing those through balls and I think that's that's a place that Chiellini and Bonucci do not want to be um, and so yeah Bonucci I think they'll do it in 90 minutes in 90 minutes well there you go Andrew if you've got something to counteract that or maybe you completely agree for the reasons that Jake has given but you're right with Chiellini and Bernucci I mean you have mentioned them a couple of times now I just think you compare them to Stones and Maguire who have been immense they've stuck headers on absolutely every I mean they didn't miss one in the semi-final against Denmark did they I can't actually remember them missing a header and in fairness, they were playing against Kasper Dolberg, who's oh, not exactly a physical <laughs> specimen but, but uh, even some on, of those sorry. long balls forwards at the end you know when they were trying to really you know, just just having a bit of a pot shot, really. They took four on, didn't they? And they're all all out attack, trying to get that equaliser. And they just, you weren't really nervous, were you? I know this is awful. We're talking ourselves into kind of an England win here. 
I'm blaming you, Jake. Andrew. Uh, Max and- Bet. <laughs> Andrew, where's the value in the final? Well, um, certainly if you look at the finals in the past, I mean, it, it can only be coincidence between matches that take place like four years apart or whatever, but European finals generally are pretty low scoring and it's, it's no reason to think this won't be any different. Um, obviously, we did have Spain for Italy nil in 2012. Um, but other than that, you've had a nil-nil and two one-nils in the in the other three most recent ones. And when I was looking down the odds on um, Pinnacle earlier, I see that you can um, bet on, you know, uh, total goals and both teams to score. And you have to go back to 1980 for the last time when both teams scored and there was over 2.5 goals. So obviously that doesn't mean it can't happen, but history suggests that uh, it it won't happen in a European Championship final. And I think that that applies here. I think um, Jake's made a very good case and he's convinced me that England are going to Win at a canter. Um, you can't blame me if, but, we, uh, <laughs> if it all goes wrong. <laughs> what, one thing you reminded me of, um, James, when you said about, oh, you know, just taking pot shots or whatever. Italy have taken a lot of shots from outside the box. And I think they've scored the most goals or joint most goals from outside the box as well. And um, as, a, as a Liverpool man by trade who likes to revel in the misery of Everton, Jordan Pickford is very weak at conceding goals from outside the box. Mm. Uh, he, it happens far more against him than, than pretty much anyone else. So while I think that England can deal with a lot of, uh, of what will go on in the penalty box, they are potentially weak at shots from distance and Italy uh, have the tools to exploit that possibly. I mean, obviously the only goal England have conceded uh, which came outside the box obviously slightly different because it was a free kick right nearly the halfway the line wasn't it I don't know what Pickford was doing <laughs> well this is it it is a of weakness for him so yeah. so that's probably one one possible concern that, that Jake was saying is right I think if, if England can hold it to nil-nil and then bring on some um, some good subs in the in the second half then yeah sort of a late scoring England win to nil um, sounds about right to me I think so what you're actually saying is with these pot shots that it's like to do is that you'd like to see Aaron Ramsdale starting goal that's what you're really saying <laughs> is that coming from a blade stand of course it will all year of course it is and right. I would not recommend that I would have Jordan Pickford in there every single day of the week I'm say I might do a better job <laughs> <laughs> yeah just going back to that just just for some stats Andrew's really made a, a good point bringing the that, that up that's something where England have excelled so far this tournament um, prior to the Denmark game which England won the shot count quite considerably. They'd actually lost the shot count 37 to 42 over the first five matches. Um, but if you take a close look at the actual numbers, they'd actually, the average XG of each England shot was 0.21, which was the highest in the tournament. Um, and they were conceding, the average XG of the shot they were conceding was 0.08. So they were limiting their opponents to just low probability efforts, whether that be from tight angles, defenders pushing people down the line, um, or whether that be people getting blocks on things and you know making it almost a trickle back to the key. Um, so yeah, that, that's something that England have done very well. And like Andrew says, Italy take a lot of pot shots from distance. And I, I think that England will be quite happy with that, um, with, with letting them do that. I know you've said that Pickford is a little bit weak in those areas. I, I do agree. But I think that England will be quite content with them doing that. I think um, yeah, it, Gareth Southgate's been saying it all tournament, these these trophies are won on moments and, and you know Italy do have some quality to be able to do that and you know 
pinging a, an eight percent chance from the edge of the box. But you know, it's very it's hard to predict if that's going to happen. But if you you know like eight times out of a hundred, one of those goes in, you take your chance really. Um, and most of the time, I don't know if you agree, Andrew. If, if you if you try and put your body in the way of a shot from distance, it can sometimes make it worse, <laughs> rather than giving the keeper a, a clear line of sight. So um, yeah, I, I think England will be happy letting Italy take shots, but I don't think Italy will get high enough up the pitch quick enough to really cause many issues. Right, I'm going to do the classic cliche thing here on any kind of preview podcast and just ask you for predictions, score predictions. Oh, I thought you were going to put up like a massive price bet. Oh, no, no, come on. That's what I want. <laughs> That's my usual, isn't it? Yeah, just pick a random thing. Yeah, a Harry Maguire hat-trick at uh, 75, something like, stupid like that. <laughs> um, no, I want to see, um, I want to see sort of your predictions, but I mean, not like 2-1 England. I want to see, you know, who scores inside 90 minutes, that kind of thing. Just as a final bit of insight for our listeners um, on the on the Pinnacle uh, podcast, if you just want to start us off, Andrew Beasley. Yeah, I think, well, I said a moment ago, I, I think England can win in 90 minutes. Um, in terms of goal scorers, uh, interesting one. I was... I hadn't really thought about it, but I watched a collection of their goals at this tournament um, before the match yesterday. And the vast majority of them are from crosses into the box or pullbacks from the from the byline. And again, we saw that again yesterday with the with the first England goal was like that, albeit it was an own goal, but it was a delivery right into sort of the six-yard box centre of the goal and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, from what we've seen in this tournament, I think Raheem Sterling's the man to to make the most of those opportunities. Um, so I think I'll go Raheem Sterling to score England to win 1-0. Nice. Nailed this colours to the mask. Jake, what have you got for us? Very similar. Um, I think we're going to be nil-nil, nil-nil at half time. Um, One-nil England. I reckon it'll be Kane that gets it though. I think. I think exactly the same as what Andrew's saying. That that's usually where the goal's going to come from. I can I can just see Sterling driving at the likes of Di Lorenzo and uh, and Benucci getting to the byline and, and cutting one back. Um, I'd be very surprised if if you know if if we didn't create a couple of big chances uh, and one of those is likely to fall to, to Kane because he does seem to be in the right place at the right time right about now even when he's missing penalties. Well, there we have it. Andrew Beasley and Jake Oscar thought they're very rarely wrong. They haven't been wrong much uh, in predicting how this tournament was going to go. Gents, thanks so much. And at the end of the day, we can say as much as we want and the game will take its course, but you can uh, look at some of the odds yourself on pinnacle.com. All the European Championship final odds are on there and uh, you can see any of the picks. And if this has helped in some way, I'm sure it has. Um, and, and by the way, you know what? You, uh, I'll go prediction as well. I think I'll go Sterling and Kane each. It'd be quite fitting for that, wouldn't <laughs> it? Because they both play their part. England 2-0. And I think those goals are the cutback goals that you would refer to. That's how I've got it pictured in my head. Realistically, I'll be hiding behind the sofa. So we'll see. Um, you can find out more about Info Goals model, by the way, that I referred to that Jake uh, was sort of leaning on a little bit earlier on. Infogoal.net, pinnacle.com, and also at pinnacle on Twitter and pinnacle.betting on Instagram. As both this tournament and also the Copper America reaches uh, the sort of final stages, the crescendo to that tournament happening over the weekend as well. Uh, we'll be discovering uh, in the coming days, we'll be victorious of Wimbledon. We'll be looking ahead to UFC this weekend as well. Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier face off for the third time. But in the meantime, remember to gamble responsibly and as ever, odds are subject to change from the time of recording. Thanks for listening. 